0: Welcome again to our worship service tonight. We're grateful for your presence. We're always grateful to have visitors with us and tonight is no exception. We appreciate your willingness to come and be a part of our service tonight. It's our prayer that if you're looking for a church home that you would consider the church here. I'm grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the church here. It's a great family. And I know that all of us would welcome you into the family here and we'd love to have you work and worship and serve with us it has been a great day we've added two new elders I mentioned this morning that this is the first this is the first time in eight years since I've been here that we have made additions to the eldership and I know that brother D.O. and brother George are appreciative of Billy and Donald and their willingness to serve and we pray that God will bless them with many many years of service and that the church here might continue to grow and prosper not only numerically, but most importantly, spiritually. And really and truly, if we're growing spiritually, we'll grow numerically. Tonight, I wanna ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter one, the passage that was read a moment ago. I'm gonna be looking at 1 Peter chapter one in verses six through nine. Peter is writing in about AD 64, to Christians who were in the throes of persecution. The church, as you you well know, was born in a cradle of persecution. It was not uncommon for God's people in the first century to suffer for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Peter wrote this epistle, God's people were being severely tried I want to just read for you an excerpt very quickly about the difficulties that the people in this particular time setting, I want to just read for you an excerpt of some of the difficulties that they were facing. And of course, the persecutions that they were facing were a result of the work of Nero Caesar. And Nero Caesar was responsible, historians say, for the death of the Apostle Paul. And historically speaking, in the summer of 64, Rome suffered a terrible fire that burned for six days and seven nights, consuming almost three quarters of the city. The people accused the emperor Nero for the devastation, claiming he set the fire for his own amusement. In an effort to deflect the blame, he thus laid the blame on Christians. Tacitus, who was a historian, in his book entitled Annals, makes these remarks concerning the difficulties that the people of God faced in the first century. Here's what he said. Therefore, to stop the rumor that he had set Rome on fire, he, that is, Emperor Nero, falsely charged with guilt and punished with the most fearful tortures the persons commonly called Christians who were generally hated. Christus, the founder of that name, was put to death as a criminal by Pontius Pilate. And then here's what he says. In their very days, they were made the subjects of sport, for they were covered with the hides of wild beasts, worried to death by dogs, or nailed to crosses, Or set fire to, and when the day waned, burned to serve for the evening lights. That's just a brief synopsis of what the people of God experienced under the regime of Nero Caesar. I mentioned a moment ago that the Apostle Paul was said to have been beheaded by Nero in AD sixty eight. And Paul knew that death was imminent when he wrote Timothy in his second letter. And so Peter is now writing and he is talking about the difficulties that Christians were facing in that day and time. And so throughout the book, references are made to the suffering of God's people. So note with me if you would, beginning in verse 6. Peter said, "In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. I want to begin by talking about the trials of God's people. The first thing that I think we need to appreciate is the fact that suffering, trial, is a real probability. So with that in mind, just think for a minute or two about the facts as they are outlined in the book. Peter, one of the ways I think that he sought to encourage Christians in the first century was to remind them that the Lord Jesus Christ suffered at the hands of his enemies. And Jesus said in John chapter 15 at verse 20, If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus Christ suffered immensely in the flesh. In chapter 2, Peter said, For even hereunto were you called, that Christ also suffered for us. Peter goes on to say that he bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Over in chapter 4, in verse 1, he reminds us that Christ suffered in the flesh. And then in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Peter would say that Jesus Christ suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, But he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. You can go back and read the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they provide insight into the suffering that Jesus experienced on our behalf. It's well documented. And so what Peter is saying is you need to understand that your leader, your king, your savior, that he suffered. And so as he suffered... You need to expect suffering as well. And so there are some passages that allude to the suffering of God's people. Let me just again read for you, verse 6: In that you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Note, if you would, the word grieved. And then what was it that was the source of grief? The various trials. When Jesus began his public ministry, one of the things that stands out in my mind is the fact that he was very transparent about the cost of discipleship. The Lord Jesus Christ tried to let people know right up front what they were getting into. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Jesus said, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. He said, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when, when men shall revile you, and persecute you, and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Jesus Christ sought to warn those of us that would take up our cross and follow him to expect suffering, to recognize that it is a real probability. Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 12 would say, All that would live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And then in chapter 4 verse 16 Peter said if any man suffer as a Christian let him not be ashamed but rather glorify God in this matter. So you have to understand in the first century Christians were being treated horrifically and you can read the exploits of the apostle Paul and some of his co-laborers men like Silas and Timothy and others. And I think about the difficulties and the hardships that they experienced in life. And they were more than willing to do so because of their love and their commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a second thing I want you to see as we consider these trials. Not just the facts, but the fierceness of the trials. Note, if you would, what Peter says over in chapter 4 in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings that when his glory is revealed you also may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. On their part he is blasphemed But on your part, he is glorified. Think for a minute about the diversity of trials. I read just a moment ago some of the things that the Christians were experiencing at the hands of Nero Caesar. I can't imagine the horrific and painful things that they suffered for their faith. What we have to understand is that as God's people today, we may may suffer. Now, we may not suffer physically to the extent that they did, but we can suffer. Physically, there are people around the globe that because of their faith in the Lord, they're suffering. The Muslims in foreign countries, in third world countries, have put to death New Testament Christians. I just read the other day about some people that were put to death for their faith in the Lord by Muslim people. You have to understand that we're living in a country today that is vastly different from what it was 50 years ago. And there are a lot of people that are coming into our country today and they do not believe in the God of the Bible. We live in a day and time when many people have abandoned the God of Scripture for any and every pagan deity known to man. So it may be the case that one day we suffer physically for our faith. I hope not, but we might. There are some that will suffer emotionally, mentally, because of their faith in the Lord. It may be the case that where you work, people ride you because of your stand for New Testament Christianity. It might be the case that because you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're striving to live a life of purity, that people make fun of you at school, that they mock and ridicule you, they call you goody-two-shoes or whatever. Well, let me tell you what. It costs a lot to, to take a stand for what's right. The Lord Jesus Christ was willing to live a life above reproach. The apostles, the first century Christians, they suffered physically and emotionally for their faith, but they didn't waver. And I think the message to us is we can't waver. Can we suffer physically, mentally, emotionally? Yes, financially. I think one of the real problems that the people living in the days of John were experiencing Financial hardship because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine living in an era, living in a day and time, when because you're a child of God, you couldn't buy food? You couldn't trade at the stores? In the latter part of the first century, there were people that were being prohibited from those things. Why? Because of their faith in the Lord. The Roman Empire the Roman Empire sought to pulverize New Testament Christianity. The Caesars did their very best to destroy the way of Christ. And yet, Christianity lives on even today. And so I think about the diversity of trials that we face and then the duration of those trials. Listen, if you would, to what Peter said in verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while. If need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Sometimes it's difficult for us to put into perspective the brevity of life as it relates to eternity. You remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 that we're not to fear those that can destroy the body but cannot destroy the soul, kill the soul. But he said we ought to fear him Who has the ability, the power to destroy both body and soul in hell or in Gehenna in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul talks about his difficulties as a child of God. I want you to just turn with me for a minute and look at what Peter says, or rather, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 for a minute. Because we talk about the duration of trials and difficulties that we experience in life. Listen to what Paul said, beginning in verse 8. He said, We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now drop down and look at verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Now listen to him in verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now you think about living here upon planet earth, and let's say you live to be 70 or 80 years of age, as the psalmist talks about. From one one side of the coin, that seems like a long, long time. But from the vantage point of eternity, Very brief. We're just here for a brief period of time, and then we, as the psalmist said, fly away. Our lives are compared to a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Paul here is saying that the difficulties that he experienced, number one, he viewed them as light, and number two, they're but for a moment. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about the difficulties that the Apostle Paul faced, it's hard for me to put into perspective what he said in chapter 4 that these are light afflictions. And again, we think about the difficulties that the saints were experiencing in the first century. Turn over to chapter 11 in 2 Corinthians. Listen now to what Paul said beginning in verse 23. He asked this question, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently. In deaths often. From the Jews five times I received 40 stripes minus one. 195 stripes laid upon his back. Doesn't seem like a light affliction to me. He said... Three times I was beaten with rods. Doesn't seem like a light affliction to me. Once I was stoned, again, doesn't seem like a light affliction. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers. In perils of my own countrymen. In perils of the Gentiles. In perils in the city. In perils in the wilderness. In perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. And then listen to him in verse 27. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things which, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Paul suffered physically and emotionally or mentally. And yet he viewed the difficulties that he faced as a light affliction, which is but for a moment. And so, as Peter writes to these Christians in the first century, he reminds them of the fact that they're being grieved for a little while. And ultimately, whatever we face in this life, however difficult, however dark, the circumstances of life may seem, we need to remember, there is nothing worth losing our soul for it. In the first century, Christians had the opportunity to recant their faith. As a matter of fact, Domitian, who would serve on the throne of Rome, commanded to be addressed as Lord and God in the latter part of the first century. Wanted to be addressed as deity. And yet, as Christians, we know we can't do that, even if it cost us our life. And so I think about the duration as well as the depth or degrees of trials. And Paul makes mention of that. Peter alludes to this fiery trial that is to try those who belong to the family of God. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study tonight. It has to do with the trust of God's people. What is it that sustains us in times of difficulty, trial, affliction, or whatever we face in life? What is it that enables us to hold on and go on? To me, it's faith. And really, when you begin to look at the people to whom Peter was writing in the first century, he speaks in glowing terms of their deep and abiding faith. And so I want to begin by talking about how they were anchored in the Lord. Note if you would verse seven, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Think about their belief in the Lord. Peter's writing to people that did not have the opportunity as he did to be an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. These folks did not have the opportunity to hear firsthand Jesus speaking, preaching the wonderful words of life. They didn't hear him deliver that great sermon on the mount. They didn't see all the great miracles that he performed. And yet the Bible says they believed. Listen again. Whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, you believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One of the great things about the saints in the first century, those who were being baptized into Christ were full of zeal and their earnest desire was to share the gospel with the lost and dying world. So here they were out preaching and teaching and laying a foundation so that people could have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would challenge you this week to go through the book of Acts. And note, if you would, the number of conversions there. And over and over again, you read about people that had the opportunity to hear the gospel. You read about people that put their faith in Jesus as the son of God, who willingly turned from a life of sin, confessed his name, and then were baptized into him for the remission of their sins. And then the cycle would repeat. They would go out and share the gospel with others. You remember in Acts chapter 8, Luke talks about that great persecution that swept the early church. And the Bible says that the disciples were, were all scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And the Bible says that those who were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. There was a burning fire within them. And so they sought to teach others about the Lord. But they had tremendous faith in the Lord. And today you and I can have the same faith. We haven't seen Jesus firsthand. We haven't heard him audibly with our ears. But we see him and hear him through his word, don't we? And the more time I spend in this book, the greater my faith. The deeper my faith. And hopefully and prayerfully, we're growing in our faith. As Peter talks about in 2 Peter 3, verse 18. There's a second thing I want you to consider as we we talk about... Anchoring in the Lord, being anchored in the Lord. And that is the buoyancy of God's people. First, they had belief. What was it that kept them afloat, so to speak, in difficult times? What was it that inspired them to hold on and go on? It was their faith, wasn't it? The fact that Jesus Christ is that great anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. I would encourage you, if you have difficulties and trials in your life, if you're being persecuted and harassed at work or at school, in the neighborhood in, where you, in which you live, I would encourage you to anchor down with the Lord Jesus Christ. I promise you, he will keep you afloat. I can read over and over again in the scriptures of people that put their faith and trust in the Lord and he kept them afloat. I can't imagine what it would be like to drown. I had an uncle that drowned at the age of 15. Went swimming in a pond that my grandfather told him, don't go swimming there. But as a kid, time on his hands, went swimming. Left this world at the age of 15. I don't know if he put up a fight. I don't know what kind of struggles went on as he sank beneath the water. But I do know as a child of God sometimes the difficulties and trials of life can become so great... And we can become so weighed down by the things of life that we feel like we're drowning. It may be that you're here tonight and you feel like you're drowning in your faith. Some may just be treading water. I think one of the things that Peter's doing is trying to inspire hope. And we need that hope. The Hebrew writer was writing to Christians Jewish Christians, many of whom were on the brink of going back to Judaism. And the whole thrust of that book is, why would you go back to an inferior system? And so in chapter 12, he reminds them of that great cloud of witnesses, those great Old Testament saints of days gone by that persevered in times of difficulty and trial. He reminded them of Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and then to drive it home. He told them, you need to lay aside every weight, every sin that besets you and run with patience the race that is set before you. He reminds them that it's easy to to become weary and discouraged in verse 3. So I would encourage you, anchor down. Realize that the Lord Jesus Christ can keep you afloat. There's a second thing I want to share with you along these lines, and that is not only must we anchor in the Lord, but I think we need to have the right attitude in the Lord. Sometimes trials and difficulties in life, persecutions, if we're not careful, can make us bitter, and angry, and resentful, and retaliatory. And yet, look how Jesus handled himself. When Jesus faced those within the halls of Pilate, the Bible talks about how Jesus was scourged. They planted a crown of thorns and placed it upon his head. They slapped him in the face. They spat upon him. They mocked and ridiculed him. And you know what Peter said? Peter said that Jesus suffered, yes. But he also said, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself unto him who judges righteously. Sometimes we may want to lash out at those who would persecute us, who would belittle us as Christians. But I would encourage you to remember who you are and remember whose you are. Peter said that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A better days coming. Thirdly, let me share with you very quickly the triumph of God's people. In verse 9, Peter makes a great statement. And I think about the bookends of faith. Listen to what he said, receiving the end of your faith. We talk about the beginning point of faith. There is a beginning point in faith and there is an ending point of faith, isn't there? Listen to what Peter said, receiving the end of your faith. Why are you a Christian? Why do you you bear up under trials and difficulties and hardships? Why do you try to remain resilient? Why is your resolve such that that your attitude is, I'm going to be faithful come what may? Because you understand that by living a Christian life, there's something waiting for you on the other side, don't you? Paul said in Romans chapter one, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He said, for therein is revealed the righteousness of God. Then he talks about from faith unto faith. The faith, that is the system of faith can produce faith in you. So you begin living and walking the Christian life. And ultimately, life here comes to an end. But the Bible tells us that beyond this veil of tears, there's something better. So think with me for a minute about the blessings that we have to look forward to. Peter said, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls... The Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. What's really difficult in life is to walk by faith and not by sight because the tendency is to walk by sight, by what we see, by what we hear. And Peter said that if we're faithful, that we will receive the end of our faith, that is the salvation of our souls. He's saying, look, you've got an inheritance waiting on you. When do you get that inheritance when you die? So, listen to what he says in verse 3 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled. And he said, It does not fade away, reserved in heaven. For you, As a child of God, we may suffer to the extent that we lose our life for our faith. What Peter is saying is, it's worth it. You hang in there. Do not give up. Historians say that Peter was crucified upside down. Go back and look at the exploits of the apostles. Many of those first century Christians, they didn't, have, they didn't have an easy road. And I think about the world in which we live today. It saddens me that we live in a country that has become increasingly intolerant of Christianity. We live in a day and time When the Christian religion, and I'm talking about those things that we most surely believe in, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Church, the Bible, these are things that have become the whipping post of our country. I don't see things changing anytime soon. Now, maybe things will change. But when I look at where we are today in comparison to where we were 25 years ago, we've come a long way. And it's not for the better. And so what we need to do is determine we're going to be faithful. We're going to live for God. We're going to do our very best day in and day out. We're going to be a light for Christ in a darkened world. When the time comes for us to leave this world, we do so knowing that we've lived our best for the Lord and we're going home to be with the Lord forevermore. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, to put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. The Lord Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. Jesus also said, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. If you believe in the Lord and would be willing to repent, I'm sure you'd be more than happy to confess his name before others. To be immersed in water so that your sins might be washed away, Acts 22, 16. If you'll do that, God will add you to the church, Acts 2, 47. You'll be a part of the redeemed, Ephesians 5:23. And if you're faithful, God will bestow on you the crown of life. If you're here tonight and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God. Could we pray with you and for you? We'd be happy to do that tonight as we stand and sing.